Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are so happy to be joining you. We will be sharing an interview with Amy Medling, the PCOS diva who has overcome her own PCOS symptoms and diagnosis with um, a better and more holistic approach to health. We can't wait to share that conversation with you. But first, we're going to share our commemorations and a little bit of listener feedback. So we'll start with Jeff, who addressed us as smart ladies. Hello, smart ladies, Jeff Mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I appreciated that. I will take that. I'll take it. I want to share a commemoration of the job I just started working for the city of Chicago in its Office of Emergency Management and Communications as the department's policy analyst. Congratulations, Jeff. Starting this job is the culmination of a chapter that began in 2013 when I decided I was not happy in my career and knew I had to make a radical change. I was a corporate paralegal and knew that my passion for community service and good governance required some sort of move to the nonprofit public sectors. I left my job in 2014 going to grad school to get my master of public policy. I took a job in a call center that paid half of what I was making as a paralegal, but offered the flexibility to take multiple graduate courses simultaneously. I graduated in 2017, and it took me a year to find and receive an offer for the right opportunity. I'm six weeks in, and it has so far surpassed my expectations in every way. Rather than working on mergers and acquisitions, I'm working on transitional housing climate change mitigation, counterterrorism, and more. And doing so in the local government sphere means my efforts help make a difference at the ground level. What I am most commemorating is not the outward status that comes with a graduate degree, not how cool my new job is, and not even the achievement of reaching my goals. What I'm commemorating is the validation of my choices, the risks I took, the direction I chose, and the choices along the way to go to the library rather than out with my friends, to go to the gym rather than to the library, and so many others were the right choices. I trust my instincts and ability to plan so much more than I did five years ago. That personal growth didn't enter my calculus when deciding to make a change, but is the thing I am most grateful for today. If you choose to share this, I hope everyone who hears my story gains a little more trust in their own instincts and abilities. They are capable of more than they know. Jeff, that is such a great message. It's beautiful, and I'm so happy for you. And I love that you shared that it took a year to find the right spot, Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes we feel like if we're on the right track, it's going to be a fast track. And that's just not always true. We also got a commemoration from Erin. She says, for as long as I can remember, I have heard comments like, 
She's so involved in everything. Oh, you're a kiss-up teacher's pet type. You sign up for all the committees, and you must be nosy and like to know everything. I started taking these messages to heart in both my personal and my professional life and turned inward, taking up less space in a room, letting others take over and opting out of things I was interested in because I didn't want to share that I was involved with them. I feel like this really took root in college and has been something I have been struggling with since. Fast forward to last weekend. I signed up for a 5K on my college campus, something I've always wanted to try but always felt that my lack of athletic ability would preclude me from participating in. I didn't tell a soul. I talked myself out of it while I drove there to pick up my race packet. I didn't even tell my husband until 9.30 p.m. the night before, and only because he needed to be on kid duty if I was leaving the house the next morning. I went to bed doubting that I would even wake up for it, but I did it. I finished it, and while I didn't perform well by standard measure, I wasn't last either, so for me, that's a win. I feel like this has opened my eyes to the fact that I can take up space in a room, and I can choose to participate, enthusiastically even, if I'm interested in something. I deserve to live a full and abundant existence just because I'm here, regardless of how anyone else feels about my choices. So I would like to commemorate my rebirth at 37 to being a participator in the universe. I actually feel as though my thoughts and actions have value no matter what others think or say. So thank you for offering me a space for this sort of thing. It's offered me yet another opportunity to put myself out in the world, something I avoided like the plague just as recently as last week. Erin, I had to dig my fingernails into that, into my thumb to keep from crying, especially with the, I deserve to live a full and abundant existence just because I'm here, regardless of how anyone else feels about my choices. Oh man, I need to tattoo that on my arm. That's so good. I love the idea of your rebirth at 37 to being a participator in the universe. Also, I want a shirt that says that. Erin, we are so happy for you. Mm. We also received an anonymous commemoration that could be triggering for people with eating issues. So I just want to put that warning out there before I start sharing. This person writes, let me preface by saying that I have been conscious of my weight since I was seven years old. However, it wasn't until my undergraduate degree that this awareness turned into a full-blown obsession. Already skinny, I was stressed at school and desperately looking for something to control. Food was my answer, and I began to drop pounds dramatically. I didn't get my period for over a year. My arms began to develop dark course in my body's desperate attempt to keep warm. My hair fell out. My muscles wasted away so significantly that I was unable to walk up a set of stairs without sitting down. After over a year of starvation, just as I graduated with a degree in neuroscience, I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. I took a year off of school after that. With the support of my wonderful boyfriend, I traveled abroad and gave myself a chance to heal. I managed to regain all the weight I had lost and began to redevelop some of the interest that I had dropped in the pursuit of being skinny. I came back home and started graduate school. I felt like such a success story. I had gained the weight back on my own. I had beat this thing. Two years later, it was this past summer, and I was just completing my master's in rehabilitation science. It was then that my old patterns started to reemerge. The starvation, the obsessive weighing, the avoidance of any social situations that would involve eating. The breaking point came when I couldn't figure out what I should pack one day for lunch. I became so distressed at the idea of eating something wrong that I began to hit myself and scream uncontrollably on the kitchen floor. Once I had calmed down, I realized that maybe I wasn't as okay as I had previously thought. My boyfriend encouraged me to reach out to a psychologist, and sure enough, my diagnosis was switched from anorexia nervosa in full remission to anorexia nervosa in partial remission. 
I was devastated to get the news. I had prided myself on gaining the weight back on my own without needing hospitalization or therapy. But it's now clear to me that I had just tackled the physical side of anorexia nervosa. The psychological symptoms were still very much a part of me. I was still terrified of gaining weight or being big. A statement which makes me cringe even writing it, as I have friends of all shapes and sizes who I truly believe to be beautiful and valuable and worthy. That being said, I do want to commemorate something. I want to commemorate that I was able to recognize when things were going bad this time around. Unlike my first episode, it didn't take one year of fainting, hunger, and exhaustion for me to acknowledge that I needed help. Instead, it only took three months. I am devastated that I am not cured, and if I am being truly honest, I'm not sure I ever fully will be. What I can do, though, is continue to develop self-compassion and grant myself the patience that I so readily give to others. I can learn to reach out for help even when I feel most ashamed. After all, recovery is not a destination. It's a process, and it doesn't have to be done on your own. I am now seeing a psychologist on a weekly basis. I'm eating three meals a day, often under the watchful eye of my boyfriend or mother. When I feel overwhelmed at the grocery store, I call my sister, and she calls me down. calms me down. I am getting help, and I am trying so, so hard just to live my life as best I can. And that has to be worth commemorating, right? As they always say, Rome wasn't built in a day. So much love and light being sent this person's way. Just a universe of love and light being sent her way. That's all I can say. And I think so many people will hear and recognize this message and that sharing it is a brave and generous act because this is a problem that even though it's kind of not the thing we talk about anymore, I feel like there was a period when we were really honed in on eating issues that's kind of faded and it is still so prevalent and so devastating and for anyone in any circumstance trying so so hard to live your best life every day is absolutely worth commemorating Mm -hmm. so we also wanted to do a little bit of feedback yeah and can i just say oh my god this might be one of my most favorite emails that we've ever gotten so this was an email from amy She says, Sarah, I was just listening to The Nuanced Life and couldn't help but smile when you were all talking about kids and their desire to throw all the pillows on the floor. I've actually thought way too much about this issue, and here's what I've come up with. The second law of thermodynamics states, all processes manifest a tendency towards decay and disintegration with a net increase in what is called entropy or a state of randomness or disorder of the system. My theory is that our children, because of a lack of experiences, are closer to their primal universe than we are and therefore also have a tendency toward net increase in entropy or disorder, thus preferring the pillows on the ground, which would also be the lowest energy state for the pillows. Also... Thinking about the CEO comment, I'm a stay-at-home parent, and I also cannot consider myself the CEO. My husband and I are partners. However, I do consider myself the COO. I just feel so – okay, I feel better about my situation because I am a questioner. And so when somebody has an answer for me, it just brings me peace. So this is the first thing. Amy has brought me a large amount of peace. Second of all, I feel smarter because I did not know the second law of thermodynamics. And I feel like this applies way beyond the pillow situation – and it's making me feel better about a lot of things. I just, it was so good. It was such a good message. I completely see in my three-year-old her connectedness to the primal universe and interest, interest right? in entropy and disorder. So, uh, yes, 
Amy, I think you have named something in a way that is important and helpful. There are some puzzle pieces fitting together right now. That's all I'm saying. They're clicking. Amy is causing some things to click and paste in my brain. We also heard from Kellyanne, who said, Your thoughts and discussion on how girls, minorities, any people on the margin learn quickly that life is not fair and they need to cope with that really struck me. I grew up incredibly privileged in a wonderful home with a loving family and friends. I also learned how unfair life was when I had cancer multiple times as a teenager and the repercussions that had on my life and my family's life. I really think you are right in learning how unfairness is the norm is the key to living a happy life. In the same breath, I pray for the grace to teach my girls and my students this without bitterness. Thank you for all you do. I'm so excited to see you in Gettysburg. And first, let me say, I don't think we've talked about this on The Nuanced Life, that we are going to be live in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in November. You can find details on that in our newsletter or on our website. Um, And we would love to see Nuanced Life listeners there for our Pansy Politics Live episode. And I am delighted that Kellyanne is coming. She came to see us in Tennessee, too. Kellyanne, you're amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think that this idea of teaching the unfairness of life without bitterness is beautiful and important and maybe the greatest challenge in front of us. Oh, it's so hard. Listen, I say I say it all the time. I say it to my kids. I believe it to my core. And I still hear this voice in my head being like, oh, this is so unfair. It's just, oh, it's really hard. It's so, if anybody has, listen, I just need a hack. <laughs> I need a soul <laughs> hack so that I can really absorb this on a cellular level. So any of you out there, Amy, you got anything, any thermodynamics that could help us absorb the unfairness and chaoticness of the universe? Because that would be helpful. Well, next up, we are going to talk about something that can feel very unfair while you're in it and an approach to getting through that. It's polycystic ovary syndrome with expert Amy Medling. We are. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns delighted to be talking today with Amy Medling. She is the author of Healing PCOS, a 21-day plan for reclaiming your health and life with polycystic ovary syndrome. Amy, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background? What caused you to be interested in PCOS? And then maybe help us with a definition of PCOS for people who aren't familiar. Sure. So I am a health coach and I work with women with polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. And I often hear from women with PCOS who are frustrated and have lost all hope because the only advice their doctors offer is to lose weight, take a birth control pill Mm -hmm. and live with their symptoms. And for much of my life, I was one of those women. So I um, had my own healing journey and I'm really just very passionate about sharing um, what has helped me and now thousands of other women with PCOS uh, learn how to reclaim, I I call it their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. 
um, and learn to thrive with PCOS. And PCOS is the leading um, cause of female infertility. It is the most common endocrine disorder found in women, and it affects up to one in five women worldwide. And the scary statistic to me is that between 50 to 70% of women that have PCOS don't know they have it. Oh, wow. And I know it's it's a huge number. And if left untreated, it can lead to type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and endometrial cancer. So it's really important to get the word out. Are instances of PCOS increasing? Or are we just becoming increasingly aware of the issue? I have so many friends that have struggled with this, particularly in the face of fertility issues. And I'm just wondering, are we are we encountering things that are increasing its likelihood or are we just becoming better at recognizing it? Well, I personally believe it's a little of both. Um, doctors are definitely becoming more aware of PCOS and are getting um, better at diagnosing it. Um, but I also think things like endocrine disruptors in our environment, BPA for one, um, it, it's been shown to um, be at a higher level in women with PCOS's blood, and it can act as kind of like a xenoestrogen or false estrogen. And um, you know, it, it perhaps these endocrine disruptors are triggering um, you know our our genes to sort of turn on PCOS, or perhaps it's diet um, and lifestyle. Uh, but I do think it, it's a combination of both. Because it's it's like, a, is PCOS indicative of estrogen dominant? So if you have a lot of things that are showing up appearing to your body as estrogen, is that part of the problem? Well, it's definitely imbalanced hormones um, and low progesterone mm -hmm. to estrogen um, is often off. I, I wouldn't call it specifically estrogen dominant issue. Um, but it certainly um, is an elevated androgen issue. So most, um, if not all women with PCOS have some level of elevated androgens or male hormones. And that's actually one of the diagnostic criteria for women with PCOS. Okay, interesting. You talk in your own journey about how long it took to get your diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about what most women should expect in that process? So, so I'm 47, and I think when I was a teenager, PCOS was still somewhat of an unknown um, syndrome in, in, in the medical community for, for um, a lot of practitioners. So it took me actually 15 years to get a diagnosis. I started showing signs and symptoms when I was 15 and was put on the birth control pill and was on the pill until my um, kind of on and off until my late 20s when I was ready to have children. And that seems to be the case for many women that when they're ready to start a family and they're having trouble conceiving, then they go to the doctor and they're often given the PCOS diagnosis. I think one of the issues is the pill can mask the symptoms of PCOS. It doesn't really treat the root cause. Mm -hmm. It just acts like a band-aid and can often make other symptoms worse like insulin resistance and nutrient deficiencies and mood related issues. But uh, it, it's one way that mainstream medical um, definitely treats PCOS. So I think a lot of women come off of the pill 
and they start seeing PCOS symptoms that were sort of kept at bay. So that's, I think, why a lot of women are getting diagnosed later in life and not, you know, in their in their adolescent years. So, I mean, I firmly believe exactly what you're talking about is an issue, even if you necess- aren't necessarily diagnosed with PCOS for so many women, all those the, you know, the endocrine disruptors and the food and diet issue, all that. I, I just think that's an, a huge issue for everyone, even if you don't have a diagnosis. So tell us the strategies you've found that can really address these issues. Well, I've been able to heal my body and bring it back into balance naturally. I couldn't tolerate the pharmaceutical, um, the the pill and the diabetic drug metformin, which is used to treat insulin resistance, which is one of the the root factors of PCOS. And my body um, kind of rejected those pharmaceuticals. So I had to find another way to manage my PCOS. So I find that it takes a holistic approach. It is about bringing not only your body back into balance, but your your um, your emotional health, your mental health, your spiritual health. I mean, it's all connected. Um, but I do think that a great place to start is your is the food that you eat because food really has the power to heal us. And I encourage women to think of food as their medicine. So. Um, you know, I, I, my diet is um, roughly kind of based on a Mediterranean type anti-inflammatory d- diet or way of eating. And it's focused on um, rather than looking at um, the way that you eat from a place of I call it diet deprivation and denial, thinking like of all the things that you can never have again, um, rather look to nourish yourself with nutrient-rich food and make sure that you make room, you know, at least every week for a mindful indulgence of something that you really love to eat and, you know, keep it on the, keep it on the menu. And maybe it's just a few bites to feel really satisfied. Um, And I think that so much uh, where, where women get so derailed is when they kind of have this black and white view of diet. And um, it's important to kind of allow those foods that bring you pleasure um, every now and then. So I'm kind of going off on a tangent about that, but it's I think that it's really important to approach food from this place of nourishment and and rather than diet and denial. And then once you get the food sort of down, I think it's important to start looking at the way that you move your body, um, your stress levels, your sleep habits. Sleep is so important. Uh, and then also looking at things like detoxification and removing those endocrine disruptors from your life. But it all starts with mindset. And that's the first chapter of my book is thinking like a PCOS diva and I feel that it's so important to shift from a place where you're looking for the magic pill um, and you're looking for your doctors or scientists to kind of find a cure for PCOS. You have to realize that you, in essence, are the magic pill and the choices that you make in terms of lifestyle um, is gonna, it's going to make a huge factor in the way that you're able to manage your PCOS symptoms. Mm-hmm. I think the way you talk about the f- the food part is so instructive and 
because I had a health, one of my friends who's a health coach told me one time, we've talked about this on the podcast before, that so often women use food as a way to break the rules. So if you have been taking care of your kids all day or you've been working all day and then you have to take care of your kids or whatever and you feel like, you know what? Like I've done everything else for everybody else and I've done everything I was that was expected of me and I want this dang brownie and I deserve it. And you kind of have this internal dialogue. So if it's deprivation, what you feel like, if you're saying I can't have it, you, you know, it's, it's from this very negative of like, you're punishing yourself. And the reason that's so hard, especially at the end of the day is because you have worked hard and you have given a lot of yourself and you're like, I deserve this. And so I think what's really helped me personally is like watching that narrative. One, my friend advised me to find other ways to break the rules. I personally like to go out in public without a bra. And I feel like that is very (laughs) like Reva. Like, I feel like I'm just like breaking all the rules and and sticking it to the man. I really enjoy that. Um, but Also, even with those foods that I really love that do bring me pleasure, like I've noticed that it's not at the end of the day, especially with certain foods, I'm not really making myself feel better because they make me feel so crummy. So even if I'm like in that moment, like, oh, yeah, I deserve this. Well, yeah, I'm going to deserve that zit the next day, too, and the headache and the crankiness. And it's just like if I start to see it as like almost I'm not punishing myself by not having it. I'm punishing myself by having it because the effects are so crappy. I wish they weren't. I would eat chocolate chip cookies and blueberry pancakes for every meal if I could, because I do love the way they taste, but they make me feel so crummy. And like, I just have to like really focus on that. And at a certain point, it's just not worth it. And there are so many other ways to reward yourself that don't leave you with all these terrible physical symptoms. Yeah, I, I love that. And and I think it also extends to exercise as a form of punishment. Yeah. Um, and, and I, boy, I spent so much time on the treadmill trying to punish myself. I think like ex- mm-hmm. trying to exercise out the, the chocolate chip cookies and the blueberry pancakes right. that I ate during that day, rather than exercising from a place of, um, nourishing my body and, um, That's treating really- it well. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it, it's so true that women need to shift that paradigm and and realize that feeding themselves with nutrient-rich food and taking the time, this is so key, taking the time to plan out your meals and grocery shop for um, the ingredients that you need to cook those healthy meals, make sure that they're in the kitchen. That is such an act of self-care and um, you know, not only self-love for yourself, but your family too. I would also like to testify that training your husband to do that is also an act of self-care. My husband is the one who does all the yeah. grocery shopping and cooking in our family. Good and it feels ju- the self-care feels just as good as it's coming from somebody else. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think with lots of health issues, particularly those that impact women, we have this story embedded that if there is not a medical solution, if there's not a magic pill, then what we're enduring must not be real. I have a fibromyalgia diagnosis, and there's a little bit of that dynamic with fibromyalgia, right? Like it's maybe just just in your head. And so when you get a list of things like sleep better, change your mindset, eat better, you start to you start to kind of question like, do I have a real issue or am I just like unworthy as a human being? And I think that until we can help ourselves kind of extricate from that story that it's only real if there's a pill that solves it, we're going to suffer unnecessarily. Yeah, and and you know, I think too that women often um 
get gaslighted in, yeah. in their in their doctor's office. I know that's um, certainly the um, case for women with PCOS. Many women and young girls are told, you know, it's all in your head. Just eat less and exercise more. And I was actually um, my mother when I was a teenager, and I had all of these symptoms, and I didn't. Um, I, I was I was thin, um, you know. I looked healthy, and doctors told my mom it's just all in her head, and to go see a psychologist. Um, but my mom told me that l- later in life. So it, it, I think it happens to so many women that they're just not listened to. And you're right. Then you start questioning yourself. And um, I, I, but I think it's important to try to make these lifestyle shifts and start reconnecting with your body and realizing that um, your body hasn't betrayed you. And when you start listening to it, um, you, you'll start really being able to understand the subtle cues that it's giving you. Um, and you can kind of start figuring out what foods work for you, what um, exercise works for you, because you, you do, you start feeling better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's been really helpful to understand my brain is not the problem, but it can be part of the solution. Mm, and that's powerful. And and just understanding things like exercise and eating well and all of the lifestyle changes that can really make a difference, almost as homecoming, you know, just I spend all this t- time outside of my body in the world. And, and now I'm not going to think, oh, I have to exercise. I'm going to think this is my homecoming time. I get to come back into my body and move it in ways that feel good and helpful. It just it takes a lot of work, I think, to to build a new story um, instead of the ones that are really unhelpful. Yeah. And that all, I think, begins with um, the the dialogue that we're we're talking to ourselves and we have to really keep that in check. Um, you know, oftentimes I'll have to, I call it my, my monkey mind when I kind of go down that negative sort of self-loathing dialogue, I have to realize that it's really not me talking. It's that sort of monkey chatter in my brain. And I have to tell that monkey to sort of sit down and shut up and let them know who's in charge and, 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 um, shift the dialogue that's going on into a much more positive sort of self, um, empowering dialogue. So if you were talking with someone who has just gotten this diagnosis, your initial your initial remarks were to really look at exercise and menu and, and this mindset shift. Um, and you talked a little bit about sleep, and I would love to go back to sleep and just ask you how you would counsel people more specifically around sleep. That's something we like to talk about on The Nuance Life as well, how hard it's so surprisingly difficult to get good sleep. Well, I think one of the reasons is nowadays we are kind of attached to a screen at all times. Um, We wake up and what's the first thing that we often do is like reach for the phone and lay in bed and look at that screen. And um, at night, my husband is so guilty of this, is sitting there at night watching a movie in bed on his phone or scrolling through social media until he goes to bed and we're kind of bombarded with that blue light from the screens that disrupts our circadian rhythms and um, it, and our melatonin production. So I really encourage women to have some sleep hygiene 
And one of the first things that I ask my clients to do is to limit their screen time at night. I really encourage people to kind of put it away around eight o'clock or at the very least get some blue light blocking glasses um, to block out that blue light that's so disruptive of of our circadian rhythm. And women with PCOS, we're finding that our circadian rhythm is already disrupted. And so, you know, it's just adding, um, more fuel to the fire. So I think that's one of, you know, a very easy tactic that you can um, use to help improve your sleep. Also, most of us are deplete in magnesium. And magnesium is one of those relaxation minerals that is so helpful for sleep and helping us to um, kind of de-stress and uh, it gives us a sense of calm. So I love taking, I call it a detox bath, and I'll put two cups of Epsom salt in the bathtub with about a cup of baking soda and some essential oils like lavender, um, which has really been shown to be sleep-inducing and relaxing, um, and soak in that. And you get um, the magnesium transdermally from the Epsom salt, or you can take a magnesium supplement at night, just some magnesium powder and some water, and that's... uh, can be really helpful to get better quality sleep. There's also really good magnesium sprays. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, and I do floats. I do a float tank about once a month. And I, I think it is like really, really, that's, which is basically a massive, it's like Dead mm-hmm. Sea level Epsom salt bath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've, I've really noticed a difference when I come out, I feel kind of melty. Yeah, you can feel your stress just kind of easing away, can't you? It just sort of melts away. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but I feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Amy, what symptoms should women be looking for if they don't have this diagnosis but feel like something is off? So some typical kind of classic PCOS symptoms are um, easy weight gain or obesity, definitely weight around the middle, um, kind of that apple shape, which is driven by insulin resistance, which is one of the uh, root issues of PCOS, as well as elevated cortisol levels, which is very common in women with PCOS. It drives that kind of centralized obesity. Fertility issues, so um, irregular ovulation or absent ovulation. And then hormonal driven symptoms like acne and especially that jawline acne, hair growth where you don't want it. So if you have hair on your chin um, or upper lip or chest or stomach, uh, and then also hair loss or male pattern hair loss, so kind of a diffuse thinning, not not like an alopecia areta, like where you're you're losing hair splotchy. It's more of a diffuse thinning. Those are all signs of elevated androgens. Also, 60% of women with PCOS have some type of mood disorder, like depression or anxiety. And um, thyroid disorder is very common in women with PCOS too, especially hypothyroidism. And then certainly blood sugar issues, um, hypoglycemia, type 2 diabetes. um, Those are all associated with PCOS. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to let our listeners know about? And please be sure to let them know where they can find you and learn more. 
Well, I just want listeners to know that there's a lot of hope if you have a PCOS diagnosis. While there is no cure for PCOS, it can certainly be successfully managed. And most of um, the women that I coach and have worked with can and do get pregnant with fertility, either the right type of fertility treatments and lifestyle change. So there's a lot of hope. A lot of women are told that they'll never get pregnant um, if they have PCOS, and, and that is just not true. Um, but I have lots of information on how to thrive with PCOS on my website, pcosdiva.com, and I'm, a, I'm um, available on social media, hashtag PCOS. Diva, and of course, my book, Healing PCOS. And you can find out more information about my book at healingpcos.com. And it's available anywhere books are sold. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us and for writing this book. This is a really important resource for a topic that is sadly too much of a mystery for lots of people. So we really appreciate it, Amy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We always like to end with something inspiring. And when I don't have something that immediately comes to mind for inspiration, I turn to Marianne Williamson, which is what I did today. It's just a safe bet. It's a safe bet. So this is Connecting to Your True Self, an excerpt from this talk by Marianne Williamson, and we'll put the link in the show notes. I remember when I was a little girl, one of my close girlfriends lived in a house where there was a mural painted on the wallpaper in the powder room. It showed two little angels lying on clouds holding hand mirrors, and that powder room at Beth Klein's house became like a chapel to me. I would come up with any excuse to enter that room and just stare up at the mural. I feel like that pre-painted wallpaper was speaking to me of somewhere I had been and longed to go again. I wondered if others could see what I could see on that wall of my Sistine Chapel on Tartan Lane. How young we were, so many of us, when we felt psychologically cast out of our homes. Feeling cast out, we collectively manifested a world from which, if we don't change things, we will be cast out. The only way we can fundamentally heal a situation in which the human race teeters on the brink of all manner of catastrophe is to repair the original separation between who we truly are and who we have become. In the words of poet T.S. Eliot, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Every life is a microcosm of the greater global drama. As each of us returns to the truth in our hearts, we will be released to our highest creativity and intelligence. This will open up avenues of repair the mortal mind can't even imagine. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuance Life. We'll be back in your ears on Friday over at Paid Suit Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.
Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.